Welcome to Process This, a podcast for the sterile processing community. Isham invites you to log on, listen, and learn twice a month. Now it's time to process this with your host, clinical educator, John Wood. Welcome, Isham Nation, to the Process This podcast. This is episode 18. Isham Nation, if you haven't checked out the virtual conference, then you're missing out. There are some excellent educational sessions, such as Corey Ofsted and John Island with their session on flexible endoscope safety, titled Evidence-Based Advocacy for Quality Management, which looks at recent injuries and infections linked to the use of damage or dirty endoscopes. It also talks about the rationale for implementing quality management programs and strategies for leveraging scientific evidence and tools to advocate for resources that will support quality improvement. So a great program. Again, the live session starts Monday, July 6th. Now this is the second of the two live sessions in which you can tune in to live speakers and ask questions and learn about different products. The Isham Live event will run through July 6th through the 10th, so there's still time to register. Don't miss out on this opportunity. Remember, the virtual conference is free to all members and certificate holders. It offers a plethora of free CEs. I hope you will join in and be a part of that. I hope all of you are faring well through this COVID pandemic and the resuming of surgical procedures. One thing you might not have thought about as you start resuming operations is about water you know, that water that's been sitting around while you were away. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Brian Flanagan, who's going to share some insights into water quality and safety. Brian Flanagan is a veteran water industry professional with over 40 years of experience. Brian is currently the Phygenix subject matter expert for non-potable water systems, safety, and efficiency. He has worked with healthcare, hospitality, and institutional clients in the U.S. and Canada. In addition to authoring numerous ANSI ASHRAE 188-2015 Aligned Comprehensive Water Management Programs, he has also developed innovative applications of ANSI ASHRAE 188 to support sterile processing, water safety, and quality, as well as oversight of HVAC utility systems. In addition to program development, Phygenics provides continued support of water management programs by providing independent verification and validation services. Join me in welcoming Brian Flanagan. All right, thank you, Brian, for joining us today. Uh, Let's go ahead and get in some of these questions. How often should we test our water? John, that's a great question, and the reality of the matter is it as in many questions like this, it depends. Um, the, the reality of the matter, though, is that your water systems in your sterile processing area should be evaluated by a team uh, within your hospital, obviously including sterile processing, but facilities management and others. And really, we look to that team to make a decision on how often water should be tested. Now, uh, we do have the opportunity through the AMI guidelines for uh, guidance on how frequently uh, water should be tested and how it should be tested. But at, at the end of the day, it really comes down to your facility and the water quality that you are dealing with and the the um, sophistication and, and complexity of your water distribution system. All those things enter into 
how often uh, you should treat your water. Well, who should be testing it? So there's lots of people involved. You just mentioned facilities management and sterile processing. Who is responsible or who should be testing uh, for these different things in the water? Again, this is a decision that is is often done uh, based upon hospital personnel and the availability of the personnel and their and their training and so on. The reality of the matter is is who tested is less important than who is evaluating the results. Uh, we think that all of those departments should have a vested interest in seeing the the results of the water testing and more importantly what the corrective actions might be in the event that, that those water tests are not within range. Frequently, facility management gets involved with doing this because they have teams of people testing water in other areas of the facility, but there's an equal number of sterile processing departments that we come into contact with that do some of the testing locally themselves. Again, the the team that I had mentioned in the previous question would determine the responsibilities of each and hopefully create a way that the information as it is gathered can be shared with all of the important shareholders. Okay, so you talked about information. Who keeps those records? How do you, usually from your experience, where do you find the records uh, for water quality testing? The records that are kept regarding the water quality and water safety and sterile processing are very important for a number of reasons, Um, not the least of which is the defensibility of the water systems in your area. Should there ever be a concern within the hospital regarding the, the quality of the instrumentation company? from sterile processing that would lead to questions about water quality, the sterile processing area would want to be in a position to be able to readily identify the water quality measurements and water safety measurements they're doing. That said, uh, because it's a shared responsibility often within the hospital in terms of maintenance of the various water systems, in particular the critical water systems, bottom line is that information should be shared. It should be maintained in a database where the data can be readily assessed and most importantly, managed. The water systems are dynamic. The water systems need to be tested fairly frequently, as we mentioned earlier. And most importantly, corrective actions and validation responses based upon that data should be predetermined um, as to what folks are going to do to correct the problem and who specifically is responsible. Is it acceptable to test the water in just one place, like from the source? Or should we be testing uh, water from washers or from the water in the sinks and decontamination area or even on the clean side? Uh, again, a great question. And the design of your sterile processing system will dictate in many cases how that should be done. And specifically, how the water is distributed throughout your facility will help you understand that as well. In many sterile processing areas, there is a, a single cold and hot water supply that comes into the area. Um, That cold and hot water supply is being obviously fed from the facility, hot and cold water distribution system. If you have one supply to your area, then it's sufficient, uh, for instance, to test your utility water, which is typically your cold and hot tap water in one location. And you can expect that it would be consistent across your entire area. Critical water is a little bit of a different animal because that water is much more highly processed than the tap water that uh, you're using. Often that processing occurs within the sterile processing area. And then how that water is distributed to your various operations. For instance, some folks have it going as their final rinse to their cart washers. Uh, Others have it going there as well as to sinks and so on. 
The reality of the matter is anywhere within the distribution system that would be representative of the system, which is the key to doing environmental testing, would be adequate. So again, many of our clients find testing at sink simply because it's simple and easy compared to trying to get into the backside of cart washes where frequently sample points are difficult to access if they exist. Hmm. Um, many of our folks will test their critical water at sinks and use that as um, obviously a means of monitoring and validating that the water is at the quality that they want. Now, the entire situation changes if, in fact, throughout the various operations within your sterile processing area, you begin to have problems. Uh, if you begin to see uh, scums or scales or discoloration of, of various pieces of equipment, that would be an indication that perhaps you need to access additional sample points to try and determine what is specifically causing that problem. But problems aside, or specific areas or water concerns aside, um, testing utility water at a single location, testing critical water at a single location is very acceptable. So when we're doing that testing, what does that test indicate or what are we measuring? Is that water test able to detect the microbial de uh, contamination? You know, that's, that's a great question. And, and again, it depends upon the test. Um, Amy in their critical water systems, as well as um, what, what they refer to as more highly processed utility water systems, suggest that you should look at microbio as well as water quality or the ionic composition of that water um, from their perspective is critical. So the water testing that you would do in sterile processing would often have um, an elemental water quality side to it, where you'd be interested in hardness and alkalinities, pH, the total dissolved solids or conductivity of that water, all of that's quite important. Okay. Um, but in addition to that, you want to know whether you have bacterial populations growing in these systems at rates considered higher than uh, desired at, in various stages. Critical water, of course, has much, much higher water quality requirements than does tap water. But nonetheless, um, the bacterial populations uh, begin to drive a potential concern for water safety. It can also even impact uh, discoloration of uh, instrumentation throughout the process if not controlled adequately. So the reality of the matter is, is that you're typically looking at water safety and water quality. The water safety is pretty much a microbio or biological determination. The water quality is more of an element, elemental or basic water chemistry type of measurement. Now, you mentioned just a second ago about looking at the AMI standards. Where exactly can our listeners go when they're looking for those AMI standards or recommendations? Well, the AMI TIR 34, uh, most recently updated in 2017, is the current water standard. There is a Table 1 that um, I would refer you to, which is in the main body of the document, that specifies two specific types of water. Um, it's interesting that they, they divide water up into two categories. Critical water is a very, very highly processed water, water that almost always requires either RO, uh, demineralization, distillation, or a combination of those types of water treatment processes to be able to achieve the water quality standard. Mm -hmm. uh, the water is typically very, very low conductivity, has virtually nothing in it from a water chemistry point of view. And then if it's not critical water, it's everything else and generally classified as utility water. And there's even some guidance around what the hardness levels and so on might be in the utility water uh, as well. 
Uh, but anyway, Amy CR 34 gives guidance with respect to what water quality should be in critical water and utility water. And then if you go on into the appendixes, they even give you additional support on how you should manage the water systems to prevent water-related problems. And, and I guess, John, if there's anything in today's discussion I'd, I'd really like to emphasize is that you know the purpose of all of this water testing and, and so on we're talking about is to prevent water problems as opposed to dealing with them after the fact. You are really an expert in water quality, and you've been in several departments. Uh, what is the most common water quality issue you find, and what impact does that have on processes in the sterile processing department? Well, quite frankly, John, the, the most common problem is, is that water quality and water safety simply aren't being uh, assessed. Sure. Um, assumptions are being made that that the water coming in from the city through the tap water system in the hospital is is adequate. From a drinking water perspective, more times than not, it's more than adequate. The assumption that that strange looking machine, which is often sitting in a closet called the critical water system is being maintained by somebody else outside of sterile processing. Mm -hmm. Often it, it features red and green lights as opposed to any direct monitoring of the water quality itself. And quite frankly, the most common thing we're running into right now is just a, a lack of awareness of the importance of water quality and water safety on the overall performance of the sterile processing area. And uh, unfortunately, the way that is typically evidenced is that a problem occurs um, you know, there's intense scrutiny uh, placed upon the sterile processing operation. And at that point in time, there's an understanding or a realization that we just don't have data to support what we're doing. And then as a consequence, things begin to move forward in, in, in terms of water management. Um, so right now, probably the most common thing that we're seeing is, is a lack of awareness. And, and then maybe right behind that is understanding how to interpret the water test results and what that means in terms of real actions in the sterile processing area, typically in conjunction with their partners in biomed or in facilities management. Yeah, so it sounds like just a real lack of understanding about uh, water and water quality and safety issues rather than just delinquents and just not choosing to do it. Hey John, the, the, the reality of the matter is, is that for you to be able to manage your water, you have to have a goal. You have to understand what your water quality goals and expectations are. Um, once that's established, the first thing you would need to do then is to assess whether or not the equipment and the systems that you have in place are capable of meeting those goals. And then only after that can you begin to then manage the water against those goals and, and talk about the corrective actions you're going to take if your monitoring would suggest that something is not performing as it should. And then clearly, if your validation uh, work that Amy suggests you do in that water comes back, outside of the guidance they're providing you, how would you react to that? Uh, we, we refer to that entire process as a water management program for sterile processing. Okay. And we would greatly encourage the listeners to consider if they don't have a program in place that defines those things that they would consider doing so. So I know that water testing should be tested routinely. Are there circumstances when water should be tested outside of those routine times? Absolutely. And, and quite frankly, one of the most important things that you can do in your water management program is make folks aware of the importance of identifying anything that looks out of the usual. You know, discoloration, the, the, uh, the sudden appearance of scums, um, 
the realization that perhaps that soaps and so on are not performing as well as they have before, any indication uh, or change that's observed in, in either the physical appearance of the equipment, the water, uh, et cetera, should immediately be addressed by talking uh, with the folks that are charged with managing water in the sterile processing area to assure that nothing has changed. And often what that will do is that will spur a more frequent testing of specific water sources for a, a, a predetermined period of time to see if something has changed that would be leading to those types of problems. Uh, a mo most common example that, John, is that, you know, in the critical water loops, it, the, the microbial levels, the bacterial levels in that water are quite low. And the distribution systems over time, amazingly enough, in spite of being the water being very, very pure, will become colonized with bacteria. And when that happens, then a sanitization process has to occur. And frequently during that period of time, you will test the bacterial levels of the distributed water more frequently to make sure that the actions you've taken to sanitize the system have delivered the results that you want. Once you're satisfied that the the water quality has returned to the desired state, then you can back down to the frequencies that you had before. So most definitely, there will be opportunities and needs to test more frequently. When there are higher levels uh, found in your critical water system, is that a time that you would need to stop immediately what you're doing to address? Or are there other situations where a serious water concern would, would stop down your processing? You know, again, a, a great question and just a continued um, uh, support for the importance of a water management program, John. Um, those decisions and water quality issues that would uh, precipitate the shutdown of a sterile processing area need to be very, very heavily understood and scrutinized by the operating departments involved. Okay. You know, Amy provides guidance to water quality. But nowhere in that guidance does it say the, the second that you suddenly find yourself outside of those guidelines that you should begin to shut down. Um, so, again, I, it, it would depend upon what you're finding. Uh, again, I'll use an example of critical water. Um, critical water has a conductivity limitation of 10 micromoles or greater than one megaohm of resistance. If your critical water production system begins to produce water that's above 10 micromoles, then clearly it's an indication that a corrective action needs to be taken. Someone needs to come in and provide service and support on that system. But the reality of the matter is, is that you could run your sterile processing area, in most cases, for quite a period of time with water of, of a conductivity level above 10 micromoles without any major distractions, concerns, or um, implications of, of safety or quality in, in your system. And, and consequently, time frames need to be established by the team. When something is found out of control, then there has to be an understanding that it will be addressed within a certain timeline or a second level of action will be taken or, or considered. Um, the, the real concern that we have as, as water management consultants is that oftentimes we are brought in during what we call these compelling events when people have their hair on fire <laughs> because they don't understand the importance and the interrelationship of these various water tests, they do what they feel they have to do. In many cases, shut down their operating departments for a period of time, when in reality, in retrospect, they would have realized that they could have run for a much longer extended period of time, perhaps not even interrupted their operations while some of this work was corrected and changed. 
So again, the purpose of the water management program is to think through these various types of scenarios, make a decision ahead of time as to how you're going to act and react with one another. And then there, there, there are most definitely times whenever it's time to say, look, we're going to halt operations until we get water uh, conditions back into control as we have defined it. Gotcha. So it sounds like being proactive, and like in most situations, rather than reactive, is really the best process when you're dealing with water. There's no question. Um, we advocate very strongly that folks in sterile processing, folks that manage large buildings, healthcare building owners, should all be in the mode of preventing water-related issues. Uh, the last thing you want to do is have patient illness. Um, major problems with, with water processes drive decision-making because, unfortunately, during those very stressful times, um, the inclination is to make quick, almost knee-jerk type reactions. And in many cases, those types of reactions can make things worse, certainly in the short term, as opposed to better. So we advocate very strongly that you spend the time develop a program, involve the right people, first of all, get the right people in the room together to talk about what the water quality goals are for this area, assure each other uh, through inspection and, and through additional support if necessary, professional support, that your water systems are capable of meeting those goals. And then what are we going to do to manage these systems? So when we do the validation testing, which is what Amy suggests you do, that we can pretty much assure ourselves we're going to meet those goals. Well, if you look in the appendixes of Amy TIR 34, they give you a very strong indication of the types of things you should be doing on a regular basis, monitoring your water quality, uh, doing preventative maintenance with a, a schedule that is well-defined and is and people are accountable for doing that, uh, making sure that people take quick uh, corrective actions when things are out of control for whatever reason, and know that the water systems that you are using are dynamic. They can change seasonally. They can change based upon interruptions in the water supply to your hospital. They can change based upon construction activities in the hospital. There's a lot of things that could make the water quality in your area change that need to be addressed as part of your monitoring program. So our suggestion is build yourself a program, get the right people involved, and then the validation piece is going to be kind of the, the icing on the cake. You'll do that on some frequency just to assure yourself and to be able to demonstrate to others when and if necessary that the water quality that you're using and, and, and using for operations in your area meet expected guidelines. Well, you, you said something interesting just a second that uh, water quality can be affected by the weather or the seasons. And since sterile processing departments are all over the country and, and the weather where I live in Colorado is different than the East Coast or the West Coast, what kind of things can you see that affect water quality? Oh, geez, where do I start? Um, <laughs> first of all, you know, um, water is not water. Uh, as you mentioned, depending upon your physical location, where you reside can very much determine your water quality in terms of hardness levels, pH, and so on and so forth. Whether you take your water from what they call a surface water, from a river or from a lake, as opposed to a deep well, can impact your water quality and water safety. The good news is, is that just about all of the, the folks who'll be listening in today are working in a healthcare facility where they're receiving water from a community water supply. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's a few out there that have their own private wells and so on, but if they do, they're subject to the same Safe Drinking Water Act regulations that the federal government has placed 
on water supply to anybody in, in, in the U.S. Okay. The states are responsible for making sure that the Safe Drinking Water Act requirements are met. But the bottom line is, is that very, very often, and, and I should say almost 100% of the time, the water you're receiving at your hospital from the treatment plants meet those guidelines. Now, there are some things that can change. Okay. Obviously, if you know, my, my friends in Canada, for instance, who have large snowpack during the, the winter months, at this time of the year, they have a melt-off. Mm. And as that water melts and that water rushes into their surface water supplies, the turbidity and and the level of, of conductivity and so on, that water can change very dramatically, okay? Uh, to the point where, for instance, water softeners and demineralizers and so on that are, are basically sized based upon the ionic content of the water coming in may have to be regenerated or changed out more frequently during a runoff period versus other times of the year. Um, I grew up in western Pennsylvania where many of the water systems were basically aquifers to the river system. And depending upon winter conditions, when a lot of salt would be flushed into the river, you could see conductivity changes in the water um, almost twofold. Okay, all these things impact water processing equipment. Now, the bigger issues that we have, I would say those are seasonal um, issues driven by Mother Nature mm -hmm. uh, more than anything else. The other issues that you have to be concerned about is that once the water leaves the treatment plant in the city and is being transmitted through the lines, when there's a city water line break and, for instance, some communities get boil water orders and so on, that can change your water quality coming into your hospital very dramatically. So mm -hmm. that's that's one area of concern is to make sure you're monitoring the water coming into your hospital for changes after the treatment plant that might be happening in the distribution system. But then beyond that, in your hospital, depending upon what work is going on, maybe there's construction work, repair work, portions of various floors being uh, recommissioned and so on and so forth. A lot of that has happened during the pandemic, by the way. Uh, Many areas of the hospital were put into a COVID-19 type of support phase, and now they're being taken back out of that and recommissioned as, as quote, normal hospital rooms and so on. Uh, all of that activity can cause a disruption in your plumbing system and pressure and flow, which can help dislodge materials that have accumulated there over many, many years, period of time, and suddenly show up at your tap. Okay. So there's a lot of factors that can affect water quality. It's dynamic. It's why it needs to be monitored uh, on a frequent basis. And some folks, depending upon Mother Nature's uh, hand in this whole thing, have to do it more frequently than, than others. So this recent pandemic has really been a unique experience for a lot of folks in sterile processing. As many facilities start opening their departments back up and resuming those surgical procedures, can you talk about some of the things they should consider? Sure. Uh, we'll start at the building and then we'll move to sterile processing specifically. But, you know, the, the water systems in a building, um, unlike your house, are typically very, very complex, very long, sometimes involve various zones of hot and cold water and so on. And, quote, normal flow through those lines will allow for a certain amount of biofilm development, a certain amount of sludge and dirt buildup over time as a consequence of those many things we've already talked about. And the fact of the matter is, is when that water stops flowing, okay, and, and it, whether it's because the census is low or an area is being shut down, that water has the ability to stagnate, okay? Mm -hmm. and, and the best way to, to define stagnate is simply water that over a period of time, sitting in pipes, 
loses the disinfectant that the city typically puts into the water to make sure that microbial populations and so on don't accumulate. It also allows water to remain in contact with metal surfaces much longer, so you get some spot corrosion that goes on and liberation of things like lead and copper into the system. And the fact of the matter is, is after a building sits that way for a period of time, and magically the number, for some reason or other, is somewhere around 21 days. Um, if a building sits without substantial water flow for 21 days, it runs the chance of having stagnant water or deemed a dormant building. Basically, what a building owner needs to understand is that that water needs to be displaced. Uh, water needs to be pushed from the city water supply to the building. The fixtures in the building, all of the fixtures, by the way, need to be exercised and flushed to allow for the, that possible stagnation to be removed and replaced with fresh water. Well, that same water that's being pushed through the building is being eventually pushed to your sterile processing area as well. And as that happens, as I mentioned before, you run the risk of debris inside the lines breaking loose and being pushed downstream. You have the issue of your own equipment sitting in, in your sterile processing area, uh, perhaps with low or no flow. You too need to be flushing your systems. If you have point of use filters, very common on some of the utility water lines, the cold and hot water line. If you have sediment filters or bacteria filters, do yourself a favor and just replace them after the water systems have been flushed. In the critical water system, you know, the RO systems and DMIN systems that are typically used to produce that water are not designed to sit without use. Hmm. Quite frankly, just don't, they were never designed for that. And consequently, it would be well served to have the person who has the maintenance contract for that equipment be brought in to go over the system, to replace filtration systems, perhaps even change out membranes and RO systems if they've sit for any period of time to assure that when you start that system back up and you begin to run the system at more normal operating rates, that the water that you produce is the water that you expect. Uh, you asked earlier, is there a time when you would test more frequently? Uh, clearly, if you've had a building that has set for a period of time, you'd want to run water testing uh, on an advanced schedule to make sure that your water has met the expectations you have for water safety and water quality, and it continues to do so as you go through your startup period. What is the difference between monitoring and testing? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, it gets into the semantics used in a water management program, and I guess maybe the best way to describe it would be to simply talk about the critical water system. Um, the things that you monitor okay, are sometimes tests. So you, you may monitor the conductivity of your, of your critical water supply because it's, it's a great, quite frankly, the best indicator of whether that system is working correctly or not from at least a physical point of view. Is it, in fact, reducing the total dissolved solids in the water appropriately? So you would, you would monitor, you would call the testing, the conductivity testing monitoring. But another type of monitoring that maybe isn't so apparent is, is that you know, there's a preventative maintenance plan for that critical water system as well. Uh, perhaps once a quarter, your uh, maintenance contractor comes in, goes over the system, replaces uh, various components that, um, that need to repl be replaced on a 90-day basis. But that whole process of preventative maintenance is also part of your monitoring plan. Okay. okay. Testing frequently is associated with what we call validation. And that is, is the water quality that I'm producing 
meeting some expectation, whether it's a goal or an Amy guideline and so on. So that would be the best way that I would, you know, in critical water, for instance, the testing on critical water has a physical component. So it has to have very, very low conductivity, a pH within a certain range, virtually no ionic content whatsoever. It also has to have no organics. So total organic carbon is very low. And even endotoxins and, and heterotrophic plate counts, which is a bacteria test, all of those have limitations and guidance provided by Amy. So that testing or validation testing is what, what you would do to assure yourself that you're meeting the goals of your system or the, the goals of Amy, whatever the guidance is you're using around the overall water quality of your system. I see water quality kind of on the same lines as as endoscopes, where endoscopes, you know, it's a really hot topic and we're really focused on it. You know, I can see water quality being a really big focus moving forward. Um, Can you talk about, you know, water quality as a focus and, you know, what sterile processing can do? John, that's a great question. I've got great news for the sterile processing area. Um, At Phygenics, we work uh, very, very extensively with healthcare organizations, and much of our work in water management is around prevention of waterborne illness caused by the potable water distribution system in the hospital. In fact, the your hospital today is required by CMS uh, to have a water management program that manages water to minimize the issue of waterborne pathogens. The great news is that that team generally is involved with all water systems, responsible for all water systems. The team that they have developed already has infection prevention, facilities management, obviously, or typically executive sponsorship as well, but then many others, uh, nursing, uh, EHS, biomed, and so on, are all um, typical representatives on this team. Um, quite frankly, we believe sterile processing belongs on that team. You should be a a part of the water management effort in your facility. The good news is, is that all of the things that we've talked about, the system of prevention, the process of, of building goals and establishing monitoring and so on, is a process that team has already done for the potable water systems in your hospital. And you should probably be aware of those things and how they manage them. But clearly what you'd be doing for the water systems in your area would be a perfect add-on. Um, in our, our particular case, we have frequently taken water management programs and simply upgraded them and updated them with more specific guidance and program controls, as they're called, in the area of sterile processing. The validation testing that you would be doing in your area is simply added to the overall hospital validation plan. But someone from sterile processing becomes part of that water management team, is responsible for helping to review and, and support um, the data that is generated on, on, a, on a period basis between water management team meetings. Um, to me, we think it makes perfect sense to, to have sterile processing simply get become a larger and active part of the water management program going on at your hospital. So last question, Brian. Can water-related issues in medical device reprocessing be prevented? Wow, yes. Just, just a big, big, bold letters, yes. Um, I, I personally am not aware of yet that a, a water management area, a water problem in sterile processing couldn't have been um, 
certainly addressed before it became the major problem that eventually surfaced had a water management program been in place. Um, you know, a water management program, um, in, in many respects, defined by um, industry standards out there today, just gives you all of the tools that allows you to know ahead of time what to expect when you do that final validation test. You know, it starts with, first of all, having the right people meeting on a fairly frequent basis, uh, so, you know, at least quarterly, if not monthly in some cases, a team of people who have a shared interest in the water safety and water quality sterile processing meet and review data from the previous time period around the performance of the water system. Hmm. That in itself is is a major, major step toward making sure that you're ahead of problems in sterile processing. Knowing how you're going to, obviously sharing a common goal and, and so on is terribly important, but knowing how you're going to monitor and make sure that the systems are working on a day-to-day basis, knowing who's accountable for taking corrective actions that have been predetermined. We don't make them up whenever they, they arrive. We've thought about them ahead of time. We've thought through how we would resolve this problem if it were to occur. So you're taking the appropriate corrective actions. Um, and then obviously making sure occasionally that you're doing what you said you're going to do. We call that verification. And then last but not least, validating the system as Amy and other guiding bodies would, would have you do it. Um, if you're documenting that process, starting with your program all the way through your monitoring, I can't imagine a more defensible way of running a water system of sterile processing and a and better assurance that water will not be a problem for you in your sterile processing area. Brian, thank you for sitting down and talking with us today. Thank you for sharing some of your expertise and giving us some insight into water quality and water safety and things that we can do and apply in our sterile processing department. So thank you, Brian. John, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Again, thank you, Brian, for sharing with the Isham Nation. If you have any questions or would like clarification about today's presentation, Brian would be happy to speak with you. You can email him at bflanagan at phygenics.com. That's B-F-L-A-N-N-I-G-A-N at phygenics, P-H-I-G-E-N-I-C-S dot com. Or you can call him at 630-561-1547. Or you can simply just email me at podcast at isham.org and I will pass on his contact information to you. Well, episode 18 is in the books. Thank you for listening. Don't forget your CE. To receive the CE for this episode, simply click on the link in the episode notes, fill out the required information, and select the code WATERSAFETY. The code for this episode is WATERSAFETY. Remember, keep an ear out for the next episode, always on the 1st and 15th of every month. Each episode's on demand, so when you're ready for us, we'll be there for you. Stay classy, Isham Nation, and we'll see you next time.